What would you do if one of your former podcast guests threatened to sue your podcast? Or what if you and your co-host got into a massive friendship-ending fight? What about if the person who designed your cover art decided that they deserve a cut of your podcast profits every time you use their art? Are you prepared for any of those scenarios? Have you taken steps to protect yourself and your show from potential problems like these? If you are like me and most podcasters, the answer is no. And more likely, your scenario is that you really don't know about any of these scenarios and you're not sure which ones you should really worry about now or which ones you really don't have to worry about now. And so that's what we're here to talk about. And we have law expert Alexia Badat here to help us do it. She's gonna answer several questions we get a lot in the Grow the Show community, which are about the law and how it relates to podcasting. What do you need to consider to keep yourself and your show protected? Well, it turns out that protecting yourself legally, at least on a really basic level, can actually be pretty easy. It could even be as simple as starting the interview by saying something like this. Hi, Alexia. It's uh, great to have you on Grow the Show. We're recording today on August 12th. Can you please just confirm that your consent to being recorded and that I can use this recording in the show and to promote the show. Do you agree? And I'll say yes, I agree. And then you go get going. This is Grow the Show, the podcast to help you grow your podcast. My name is Kevin Schmidlin. I am your podcast growth coach. And today we're actually not going to talk about growth and monetization. We're going to talk about legal protection and what podcasters should consider about the legal structure and the legal protections of their shows. It is not the sexiest topic in the world until you need it. So whether or not you need it right now, you're probably gonna be glad that you know it. So stick around and learn the basics of podcast law here on Grow the Show. This episode of Grow the Show is sponsored by Riverside.fm, the leading platform to record studio quality podcasts. More than 70,000 other podcasters use Riverside, including myself, Guy Raz, Gary Vee, Spotify, and even the New York Times. Riverside is not only great because it has unbelievably high recording quality regardless of your or your guest's internet quality, but it also gives you separate audio and video tracks for each person speaking. It's high-tech, but easy to use. Unlike Zoom, you don't have to have anything installed on your computer, and your guests don't either. And did I mention that the audio quality is way better? If you're recording your interviews remotely, get off of Zoom now and hop into Riverside for your next interview. Your listeners will thank you. Head over to riverside.fm and use code GROW, that's G-R-O-W, to get 60 free minutes of recording and 15% off a membership plan. The link is in the show notes. My name is Alexia Beda, and I'm a production attorney based out of a media and entertainment boutique called Clara's Law out of New York. Now, when you hear entertainment law, that sounds like it might be cool and exciting, right? And you might think that Alexia went into that specialty to get in on all the glitz and glam that comes with the entertainment industry. But that's actually not the case. I don't have a sexy Hollywood story like a lot of entertainment lawyers do. But I will tell you that it was the one topic in law school that just spoke to me. It's something so intrinsic that you can understand. What can I say? 
When does my right to say something conflict with your right to protect your reputation? When does my right to use content conflict with your right to defend yours? So they're just very intrinsically human concepts that you can grasp and which spoke to me way more than anything else that I came across in law school. Why do you think that is? Why did that speak to you so much? I've always really enjoyed talking, dialogues, use of words. I think it's an area of law that is specifically about that, right? It's specifically looking at what people can say, what they can't say. How do they protect the fruits of their creativity? There is something indescribably awesome and cool to get to play a part in supporting content creators get their content out in the world. I can't tell you how awesome it feels to hear a podcast that you know the podcaster spends so much time getting it legally right, you know, reporting their story that you are able to help them get their content out there into the world and giving them a little bit of comfort that either they're not going to get sued or if they do, that they're on the right side of the law. To be able to do that and call that part of your job is awesome. Now, Alexia has worked on a ton of stuff in the entertainment industry, including TV and movies. However, the reason I wanted to have her here on Grow the Show is because she is a podcast law expert. I grew up professionally sort of with the podcast industry. And so it holds a really close and dear spot in my heart because unlike film and TV that has specific rules and precedents and way of doing things that have been around for decades and for far longer than I've been practicing law, podcast and really attention to contracts. Podcasting has been around for decades, but I think the attention and sophistication and creative drafting that has gone into podcast deals and thinking about how to legally structure the podcasting creative process that is more recent than just a few decades. And so I was able to, as I was growing as a lawyer, grow up with the space. And so I truly feel uh, you know, it has a special place in my heart more so maybe than other areas, which I also practice and love, but I have a sweet spot for podcasting. And as a lawyer who has a sweet spot for podcasting, Alexia knows that we have to give this disclaimer before we jump into today's lesson. As all lawyers always have to start, the following isn't legal advice. And I say that both for my benefit, but especially yours, because everything is so fact sensitive. So please use this as some rules for the road. But if you ever need specific legal advice, I encourage you to speak to an attorney. It's true. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And definitely speak to your own legal counsel before making any decisions. Now, over in the free Grow the Show Facebook group, we get questions about some of the legal issues in podcasting all of the time. And I've noticed that just about all of these questions fall into four main categories. The first is about IP or intellectual property, how to make sure you truly own your show. The second is all about guests and the people you have on your show. The third category is about sponsorships, and the fourth category is about what we call fair use or whether or not you can use things like movie clips or news clips in your podcast. We are going to touch on all four of these categories in this episode, starting with IP. But before we get to all that, I want to address something that I know a lot of you are thinking. I'm an independent podcaster. I have great relationships with my team and the people I work with. So it's not like there are a ton of people and companies that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis. So do I even need to worry about all of this legal stuff? 
that question comes up all the time if for whatever reason the relationship has broken down. So if it's very clear from the get-go who owns the title, if the two of us start a podcast together and we agree that you own it and you want to keep making it without me, we've you know thought about that at the beginning. That's a little bit of the unfortunate thing with lawyers and contracts is often the part that's overlooked is in an agreement is what happens when things go wrong. And the truth is, that's often the only time you ever look at a contract again right. is when you want to get out or when it's gone wrong or when you want to do something on your own. And so those are the kinds of questions that are important to think about and who owns what if ever we decide to part ways at some point. Yeah. But being a bit more optimistic, also who gets to do what with the title when things are going well, if we want to put the title on a t-shirt, who gets to do that? Who gets to make merchandise with the title? So it's important to know that from the get-go. Yeah. I'm reminded of, I think I once heard Gary Keller, who is a famous entrepreneur. He wrote the book, The One Thing. I once heard him talk about, think of an agreement as a more of a disagreement than anything else, where it's like, you know, we're friends now. We're going to, going in on this. Let's decide now while we're friends <laughs> what happens if we disagree down the road, right? A hundred percent. The only time that clients call and say, ask a question about a contract we drafted is, you know, 90% of the time because something has gone wrong and they want to know what they get to do. So think about what you learn in this podcast episode as insurance. A lot of what we talk about today is going to be about things you can do to protect yourself because let's be honest, even if we do have the best intentions, sometimes things just go wrong. And the more people you reach with your message, unfortunately, the more likely you're going to reach some folks who have not so good intentions. And so instead of being blindsided and unprepared for when it all hits the fan, you can take precautions that will make it so much easier to resolve any conflicts that you might have to deal with now or in the future. And so possibly one of the most important things you can do early on in your podcasting career from a legal perspective is to make it absolutely clear who owns all of the portions of your show. A lot of people... I think do not necessarily realize the value they are sitting on when they create a podcast. There's this feeling that I grab a mic, you record, and maybe not realizing how much IP and how layered the IP that you're creating is. And so it's really thinking about that, both what are the first things I need to do to protect all those different layers of IP and not just put it out there into the world without having thought of that first. Because no matter what you may want to do down the line, you will want to make sure that you've kept your options open. IP stands for intellectual property. In general, IP is any creative or intellectual work that the law protects. So things like patents, trademarks, and copyrighted work all fall under IP. This can be complicated, but lucky for us, when it comes to podcasting, we only have to worry about a few things. You can think of it as maybe an IP pie. There are many slices to this IP pie. You have the title of your podcast, you have the recording, you have the underlying materials, the script, the RSS feed is a really important piece of IP, for lack of a better word, that many people maybe don't think of in that way. And so it's thinking in all of those things together represent this IP pie that you're sitting on or holding as a podcaster. So the four slices of your podcast's IP pie are the title, your recordings, your script, and your RSS feed. 
Understanding what rights you have to each of these pieces can help protect yourself and get the most value out of your creation. So let's go over each piece, starting with the title. The title is important to decide who gets to do what with the title. So often the way that you protect a title is through trademark and the whole trademark process follow. There's a lot of resources online for how to do that, but essentially that would be the the doctrine, the area of law to protect your title would be trademarks as opposed to copyright. And if you're working with different people who may all own the podcast together, who gets to continue making the podcast under that title? All right. So the title piece of the IP pie refers to who can use the actual title of your show and where they can use it. But what about the actual podcast audio library? The audio recordings is important because whoever owns the copyright and makes the decisions with the recordings is really the party that gets to decide how the recordings are released, when they get posted online, when are they going to be dropped into an RSS feed, are they going to be licensed to go somewhere exclusively behind a paywall. So the, the actual recordings itself, the ownership of those, that's what dictates how those recordings essentially live out in the world and become public, right? The person who owns the recordings, that's the person who gets to make those decisions, unless you've contracted otherwise. And then how is that different than the script? So it's an interesting nuance because, you know, let's say between the two of us, if you own the recordings and you get to decide what gets done with those, but if I've reserved rights to the scripts, then maybe I want to go and write a book based on the scripts or enter into some other deal based on the scripts, which doesn't interfere with your ability to go and release the podcast. But I've carved out that right for myself to the scripts. I've carved out the ability to do more with the IP in the content itself, as opposed to focusing just on the recordings and what can be done with the recordings. And those two are often just lumped in one, right? I've seen contracts where it just says, I own the podcast. Well, yeah. They're lumping everything together, but it doesn't have to be that way. The slices of the pie can go to different stakeholders depending on what makes sense. If you're working with a partner that's funding the podcast because they're going to bring marketing opportunities and they are the ones who are the experienced distributor, it probably makes sense for them from their perspective to own the recordings. Well, are you going to have your fight at that level or are you going to say, okay, but I'd like to reserve rights to the underlying materials? I'd like to be able to write a book based on the underlying materials. Here are all the things I'd like to be able to do. So to understand the difference between owning your recordings and your script, think about what happened to Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift wanted to have more of a say in how her songs were produced and distributed. She wanted more control over her music as she grew as an artist. But she ran into a problem. All of her old albums were owned by this guy named Scooter, and Scooter didn't want to sell her the rights to her old albums. But lucky for T-Swift fans everywhere, Scooter basically only owned the recordings of those songs. He didn't own the script or the lyrics, the actual written song itself. This means that Taylor Swift was able to go and re-record the exact same songs and re-release new versions of those old songs. That's why you've seen for the past couple years, Taylor Swift releasing all these new versions of her old songs called Taylor's Version. That Scooter Dude still owns the original recordings, 
but the re-released recordings all belonged to Taylor. And so she was legally allowed to do this because she still owned the rights to the lyrics or the script. Now, I'm obviously simplifying this a ton, and music law is different than podcasting law, but the idea still stands. Having the rights to your podcast recordings gives you the right to do what you want with those specific pieces of audio. Owning the script means that you can do what you want with the ideas and the scripts that your podcast audio is produced from. So we've talked about your podcast title, the name of your show, your recordings, and your script and how those two things are different. And so the final piece of this IP pie is your RSS feed. Having control over your RSS feed basically means that you have control over your link to your own audience. Who controls the RSS feed is one of the most important conversations that happens in any podcast deal because everybody wants to control it. Everybody wants to draw promo for their new shows. Everybody wants both in success of the show to be able to use it. And also when the show's done, you've amassed this amazing and loyal and dedicated audience who maybe you did your first show on food and you're doing a second show on food and you want to be able to drop that next show in it. If you don't have control or you've agreed that you can't do that, then you're stuck. So the control over the RSS feed is really important because that is your link to your audience. As the host, you want control over the RSS feed, but also understandably, if you're a host working with a production company, the production company who's invested money into the show wants to be able to then leverage that and drop future shows in it. So there's always a negotiation that happens at the level of control over the feed and you can get creative about it, right? In some cases, it might just be a hundred zero. There's no discussion, but depending on who you're speaking with, maybe you can come up with a certain number of promo spots a quarter or other things, other incentives that you can get. So it doesn't have to be black or white, but it's definitely a conversation to have. Do any stories come to mind that the listener might be interested in for cases where maybe somebody didn't have the right agreement on their RSS feed or even their title or something like that? Like, What are some examples of times where you've seen a podcaster kind of not not give this consideration it deserves and then or they gave it the consideration it deserved and it turned out good absolutely i mean it happens every time every time somebody's worked on a contract where they've drilled down a little bit on what happens on the feed they're happy so it happens often where you will grant let's say someone's funding your podcast you will grant them exclusive control over the feed for a while you know it happened recently where one podcaster even though they left the production company that had funded them and the production company retained the feed, they had negotiated the ability to promote their new show in the feed. So while they left and weren't working with the production company, they were able to direct their listeners and say, hey, you can find our new show here, subscribe here, and able at least to benefit from the audience that they had cultivated even if they don't keep the feed. You want to be able to tell the audience in that feed, hey, here's where you can find me if you can't take the feed with you. And so that podcaster had the foresight to negotiate that into the agreement ahead of time. Like, hey, if and when down the line I leave, I want to be able to talk to my audience on this feed. Exactly. And it literally says in the contract, you know, at the end of the term or if they don't renew, 
that I will have access to the fee to drop up to X promo spots a quarter or a month for my project. Wow. Some variation of that. Yeah. And they thought of that at the beginning, which can be a little uncomfortable because you're saying, hey, what happens when we don't work together? But everybody understands that those are conversations you have to have. So your podcast, Intellectual Property, is like a pie with four pieces. Your title, your recordings, your script, and your RSS feed. Each of those pieces gives you specific rights to specific parts of your podcast. Everything we've talked about until now is especially important to think about if you're working with multiple people on your show. But even if you aren't, it's still important to understand. Because understanding IP and having protection there is the way to maintain ownership of your podcast. But what happens when somebody comes onto your show as a guest? It's not like they have a claim to own your podcast or your IP, but their voice appears on the show. So is there a way to protect yourself when it comes to having guests on your show? Do you have to do anything to protect yourself from guests? Do you need to have them sign a release form? There is no law in the United States that requires you to get an appearance release from someone who's participating on your show. Let's start with that. Now, if somebody, you interview someone on your show and they understand that they're being reported for a podcast, that they've consented to being reported for a podcast, and you record them saying, yes, I'm you know, participating in this podcast, happy to be here. That's already pretty good to start with that. The reason that people get releases is not because they're legally required to have the person be on your podcast. It's mostly because of all of the other nice things that are in a release. So there's a release of claims. Usually the host isn't going to sue you for anything that they said on the podcast. They give you wide promotion rights to use the recording in many different ways. You can, and you know, usually across the states, you could cut a clip from your podcast with the interview to promote specifically the episode, even if you don't have a release and the person consented to being on the podcast. But can you then use that clip to promote your other shows? No. Whereas if you got a release that says I can use it in promotion of, you know, me and my company, then they've contractually agreed to something that's larger than the implied release you get when someone has agreed to sit on your show and knows what they're doing. So especially if you're working with larger distributors, platforms, they tend to be the ones who want releases because they want to use it more widely and they want to use the podcast to promote their other shows or other shows in their networks. But from a pure matter of law, as long as your guest knows that they're being interviewed for a podcast and you can you know, report them saying that because that's good to have in your back pocket, you are not legally required to get a release, but there can be benefits from having a release. Yeah. My follow-up question would be, I'm seeing podcasters who, like, they'll have a booking link to book a time. And there'll be a little box that says, you know, by checking this box, I agree that, and it might be something like you just mentioned, like, you know, this company can use this for, to promote. Yeah. Is that, are you covered in that sense? Like, is that, I guess, I don't know if it's the term is defensible, but like, is that legit? <laughs> It really depends on how clear it is. If it's buried at the end and you have to scroll far, far down before clicking and you didn't really see it, it might be challenged saying that there really was an informed consent. If you've made very clear, you know, by clicking here, I agree, and it says what the terms are, that may be enforceable. But I would still recommend it's a good idea to get them when they're on the show recording saying, you know, hey, you're great to have you on the podcast. Can you confirm? 
We're being recorded for this today. Permission to record. Great. Let's get going. Let's do that as an example. So what would I say? <laughs> so <laughs> you, you kind of just said it, but I would basically say to you, no, you can say hi, Alexia. It's uh, great to have you on Grow the Show. We're recording today on August 12th. Can you please just confirm that your consent to being recorded and that I can use this recording in the show and to promote the show? Do you agree? And I'll say yes, I agree. And then you go get going. When it comes to your guests, the trick is to always be clear. Make sure they know they're being recorded for a podcast and let them know where else you might use the content that you record. This need for clarity also extends to your relationships with your sponsors. Have a very clear deal with the sponsor. Even if it's bullet points in an email, be very clear on what you are getting and what you are offering. For example, if you say you will be the exclusive sponsor of my podcast, what does that mean? Does that mean you're going to be the exclusive sponsor for every episode, for an episode, for a season? So choose and use your words carefully. Drill down to the level of detail. What are you offering for every episode, season, the whole podcast? That would be one thing. Like be very clear with both for your benefit and theirs. What are they getting for their sponsorship, for their investment? And what are you offering to give? So, and I've seen that happen where you say, you know, sponsor my podcast. It didn't mean the same thing. I meant one season or an episode. They meant the entire series. Can there be other sponsors? That's another thing to be clear. Are you the sole sponsor? Are you a sponsor? Exclusive? Not exclusive? Have those conversations. What are their expectations of the sponsor in terms of how the sponsorship is going to be disclosed? Because you have to disclose it. So any sponsor that wants to you know, you can make it seem organic, but it can't be obtuse. The audience has to know when something is sponsored and when it isn't. So aligning on how that sponsorship is going to be said, that's also helpful. So everybody's happy with the final product. Yeah. So you said the audience has to know if a product is sponsored or isn't, right? That's it. You have to know. So sponsorships, endorsements, let's say you're doing an episode about, let's say you're trying to find the best martini in New York City. And that episode is sponsored by one of the oldest bars in town. And you say one of the places that you can find a great martini is this bar. You would have to disclose at some point in the episode, and by the way, this episode is brought to you by and name the bar, because otherwise it's not clear to the audience that there's this relationship between the editorial content and the sponsorship. Mm. So you would have to disclose the sponsorship for the episode, if at the very least the episode content is related to the sponsor. Anytime you are directing one of your audiences to product and that you have some sort of relationship to do that, that it's not fully independent, that you just haven't decided, but it's part of this affiliate relationship, that has to be disclosed. It has to be disclosed next to the link. The audience has to be able to see not zoom or scroll down further away to see the disclosure. All right. So far in this episode, we've talked about intellectual property or IP and how to set yourself up for legal success when it comes to guests and sponsors. The final piece of podcast law that we're going to talk about today is fair use. And for that, the question is, when is it okay for you to use a clip from a movie or the news or a song? And when? Is it copyright infringement? Understanding what is and isn't fair use is probably one of the most important things for a podcaster starting out who especially doesn't have the budget to license all of their content. 
There are so many fair use myths out there that you can use 10 seconds of content or up to 30 seconds of content and it's a fair use. Or you can use two lines from a poem and it's a fair use. Or if it's for educational purposes, it's a fair use. None of those things are true. Those are all myths. <laughs> those are all myths. There is no bright line rule when it comes to fair use. And if ever anyone has told you there is or you found it, ignore it. Fair use is unfortunately a pretty subjective concept. There are four factors that courts look at to decide if something was a fair use, but there are no specific guidelines for what is and isn't. It's a application of those four factors. And the most important, what it really comes down to is, are you using content in a way that's different and transforms and casts a new meaning than the original? So for example, you have a podcast that reviews new movies that come out and you are commenting on a specific scene and the chemistry between the actors in that scene. And then you want to cut to a short clip specifically that you feel illustrates the chemistry between the actors. You cut to that clip and then you comment on it and say, you know, and then you can hear in this clip and the way they answer and that they barely, you know, they finish each other's sentences. That's a good example of a fair use because the original use in the movie is to entertain. The use in your podcast is to use it so that you can comment on it specifically, making a point about the chemistry between the actors. And an important thing to think about for podcasters with fair use, and that's a mistake that I see happen all the time, is you've done this really good fair use, right? You've picked a good clip, you've commented on it, but then it runs under the narration. It runs under your commentary for a long time. You want your fair use to be in the clear because it's very difficult to say that it's still a fair use when the person can't really hear it. At that point, you just have someone else's copyrighted content running under yours. Whoa. So when you're cutting your fair use clips, you know, you say your comment, you cut to the clip, a pretty clean cut, and then you comment again. And that's a mistake that happens all the time. So don't run it under the narration and use no more than you need just to make your point. If you're using it because it sounds good or because it sounds better than you saying it, that's probably not a really good indication of fair use. Yeah. If you're using it because you need your audience to hear the original so that you can then comment on it or because they need to hear the original in the context of the show, that is a better indication of a good fair use argument. So when you hear a news clip on a podcast, I feel like the use case that comes to mind is actually something that I always thought was fair use, but doesn't sound like it actually is, where they're just kind of using the news clip to tell you about something that happened, but they're not really commenting on the news clip itself. News clips are an interesting one. A good example of a fair use of news clips, which happens a lot, is if you're a podcast that's covering an event that happens and you say, and the media just went wild and the coverage across the media was so inconsistent. And then you cut to a clip from CNN and a clip from ABC and a clip from Fox, and you use that to show how different media covered a certain event, that's probably going to be a pretty good fair use. If you're using a long clip of an anchor summarizing what happened where you could just as easily record that yourself, that's probably not a very good fair use. So you want your use of the news to be for a different reason. The original use of the news was to convey the news. 
if you are using the news in your podcast to convey the news as opposed to show how the news was conveyed or place it in context, that's where you're getting into more murky territory. So I've seen huge podcasts that have put zero thought into legal protection agreements, just nothing, <laughs> which is which is risky. Oh. I've also seen beginner podcasts who have spent thousands of dollars trademarking a name and doing all, all this other stuff where they haven't really even tested the show, whether people will listen to it, whether they even like doing it. So that's the big thing where it's like, okay. How much? How much? When do you say when? So an early podcaster, what, what's your guidance for them? Trademarking and copywriting involves a cost, right? When you apply for a trademark and you apply for a copyright, there's a cost involved. And it may simply not be an option for you as a podcaster when you're starting to register the copyright in all of your scripts and all your recordings. So if budget considerations are an issue, maybe pick the ones that you think are going to be the most popular or pick the ones that you want to protect the most. Maybe register those. Oh. Same for the trademark type, right? Trademark applications, it costs, there's money involved in registering for a trade. Think about before you start using it, who else is using it out there? Search for the title on Apple Podcasts. Mm. Search for the title on Spotify. Try and understand before you invest a lot of time and money into creating a new brand and title, what's out there, what's competing, who might object. Try searching the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office Registry. See what's out there. So there's all kinds of things you can do that are not necessarily applying for the trademark or applying for the copyright, but that give you a sense of what's out there. And again, I think the most important thing you can do as a podcaster when you're starting out is have very basic agreements with everyone who has touched your podcast in some way, shape, or form. Have a basic agreement with the person who designed the cover art. Have a basic agreement with the person who recorded the theme song. It may be a friend who's a great guitarist who did this as a favor. That's wonderful, but have a really simple agreement, even as basic as an email exchange. Something that makes it clear who between the two of you owns the copyright. Your deals with your producers, your co-producers, sound engineer, editors, hosts, all of those things. So ideally, if you want to be in the driver's seat and make all decisions, you're the sole copyright owner and you get to make all decisions related to that copyright. That might not always be possible. Maybe you're working with a co-producer and your board's going to co-own it. That's great. But then discuss who between the two of us gets to make decisions of how it's distributed. Do we both get to grant licenses to it? Do we both get to make, turn this into a longer audio format, turn it into a sound TV show? All of the questions of how you use the IP, there's both. There's who owns it and who gets to make the decisions. And if you have a co-owner, those are things you want to get into. If you just want to own everything yourself, you just want agreements which have the magic words, which are work for hire, which means that the law treats what they did from the minute they created it as if it was owned by you. Have agreements with people that you're working with. Make it really clear who owns what, what the relationship is between you, and be responsible with your content. What are you saying? Realize that podcast content is subject to the same laws as any other piece of content is. As you can get in trouble for what you say on your podcast in the same way as you can on a documentary. So be responsible about your reporting, about the things you say, fact check the statements of fact. 
think about fair use. Don't just drop a bunch of third-party content in there without thinking whether you can or whether it's a fair use. So I would say really those two things for podcasters starting out is clarity of the relationships with all the people working on your podcast, who owns what, and then also being responsible about your content, what goes out there into the world as well. All right. All right. I know. I know we just threw a ton of information and legalese at you, but if you take anything away from this episode, let it be these three things. First, when you're working with anyone else, whether it be a co-host, a graphic designer, a sponsor, or a guest, be very clear about what your expectations for the relationship are and get those expectations down in writing, especially at the beginning of the relationship when everything's great and you're totally friends. Be extra specific, extra clear, and extra transparent. It can be a little uncomfortable to have that conversation at the beginning, but trust me, It'll be way more uncomfortable when things go wrong and you haven't made these things clear. Second, keep in mind that you can't just publish anything that you want on your podcast feed. You have to be careful about what you say on your show. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be paranoid about every single second of audio you publish, but when you're talking about someone else or using content that you didn't create yourself especially, take a few extra minutes to really think about what you're publishing and do some research into whether or not it could potentially get you in trouble. And so the third and final takeaway is that, yes, there are a ton of precautions that you can take on your own to protect yourself and your podcast. However, if you ever find yourself in a gray area when it comes to the legal side of podcasting and you think there's a chance that there could be trouble, it's always best to consult a lawyer who can give you advice for your specific situation, not online experts like me. So if you pop into the Grow the Show Facebook group and ask a question about your specific legal situation, all we're going to say is you got to talk to a lawyer. Don't listen to us. Lawyer consultants can be expensive, but they aren't nearly as expensive as getting sued or losing the rights to your show. I know this all might sound a little scary, but I promise you that if you use good judgment and keep what you learned today in the back of your mind, you'll already be ahead of the game. And all in all, please, please, please don't let these considerations slow you down from doing the work that you need to do to make, grow, and monetize your show. Because if you don't do those things, and if you allow something like this to completely distract you from those things, it's not going to matter at all because your show is going to fail. And it won't matter that you have tons of protection around a podcast that has no listeners. So keep that in mind. Now, having said all that, if you do have any specific questions or clarifications on what was gone over in this episode in particular, because it was a lot of stuff, definitely join us in the free Grow the Show Facebook group. The link is in the show notes. You can post any questions that you have. Like I said before, if you ask a specific question about your specific situation, we are going to cop out and tell you to talk to a lawyer. But if you have questions about the concepts, words, phrases, that we talked about today, we're happy to answer them in the Grow the Show Facebook group. Hop in there, post your questions, tag us, tag me, tag the Grow the Show team, and we'll be happy to help you out. I'll see you there. Grow the Show is a Q9 production. This episode was written and produced by Catherine Nails and myself with post-production by Max Graham. And a very special thanks, of course, to Alexia Badat. For Grow the Show, my name is Kevin Schmidlin. I'll see you next time.